Are you a woman serving in the military and may require a little motivation or support? Or you have a question but not sure of who to ask? Or you just need to know you aren't alone in a male-dominated profession? Well, The Military Woman and So Much More is the podcast for you to be inspired, educated, and motivated to be the best damn leader in and out of uniform. We as military women need to share resources to be taken seriously, make systemic changes, and groom future leaders. Despite our differences, we are stronger together. Join host Sharika Labrie as she speaks from either personal experience as an active duty officer or interviews guests with a variety of successes, challenges, or expert knowledge on topics worthy of discussion. Let's build a network of military women who support each other and continue to be the badasses we are. Here is your host. Well, hello, lady leaders. I am very excited about this week's episode because he is our first male guest speaker on the podcast. And he is talking about one of my favorite topics, emotional intelligence. And I truly believe that a great leader is separated from a good leader, depending on how much emotional intelligence that they have. So how empathetic and how well they know their people really separates them from a good leader. So Bill Benjamin has 25 years of of experience as a senior leader, leadership coach, and motivational speaker. He knows what it takes to succeed in high-pressure environments, and his thoughts have been sought out by groups such as the U.S. Army, NASA, Intel, and other top top, um, named companies as well. He's very candid about his own career earlier on when he found out that he was not a good leader himself. And so he seeked of how to better himself. And he found the Institute for Health and Human Potential, which he is now a partner in as well. And if you go to the website, you can find different classes that just a small hint, ladies, that Go to whoever does your training and see if it can get funded. Uh, The military does have stash money sometimes to offer training to to those who are seeking it out. So um, I've I've seen it happen before. But anyways, back to Bill. Bill, he is a fantastic speaker. I am. I feel very privileged that he agreed to be on this podcast, on this little podcast that's number what fourteen uh, in episodes, and he's spoken to thousands of people, uh, <laughs> and and has helped motivated them to be the best that they can be. But um, I mean, this is great stuff that he's talking about. And I hope you all get something out of it as much as I did. And um, yeah, so. All right. Thank you. Bill Benjamin is here today on the Military Woman podcast and so much more. Thank you again for taking the time out your day to come talk to us. So as ladies in the military and bringing all the knowledge and expertise that you have uh, in really a a wide variety of uh, intelligence, mental agility, uh, performance, and leadership that is very applicable to our organization and then a woman in our organization as well. So, Bill, please, please take the mic on, and it's all about you. Great. Well, thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. I I love the work that you're doing and and appreciate the audience that you're supporting. And, uh, you know, thank you for your service. (laughs) So I think you wanted me to start just saying a bit about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, a couple of unique things about me. Um, I have degrees in mathematics and computer science. 
and I worked for a computer software company for 14 years, and they decided to make me a leader because I was pretty good at my job and reasonably bright, uh, but it turned out I, I wasn't a very good leader. And it took me a while, but um, the thing that I learned that I was struggling with was my emotional intelligence. Uh, I, I wasn't managing difficult situations very well, um, something we call last 8% situations. Uh, you know, when things get really difficult, um, I wasn't showing up very well. I was either avoiding tough decisions or avoiding tough conversations or, or making a mess of them. Um, and I figured out that it was emotional intelligence um, that was the thing that was the differentiator for me. Um, I, I also contributed to our book, Performing Under Pressure, and um, was the lead in the background, um, supporting a number of really amazing women um, when we did our Women Under Pressure project, uh, which I know we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, and then finally, I just want to say um, I'm surrounded by incredibly strong, capable women. Um, my mother is a child psychologist. I have two older sisters that are doctors. Uh, I have a very strong wife and two young teenage daughters who are very strong. Oh, yeah. You're definitely outnumbered then. <laughs> so I have lots of women in my life, lots of uh, awesome, amazing, strong women in my life. <laughs> yeah. So how did you end up in mathematics versus, you know, something else <laughs> with yeah, all those how, women how around? To, you know, so uh, I always had an, a bit of an affinity for math. And so that's why I did a degree in mathematics. And, you know, uh, of course, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I went to college, you know, computers were sort of the up and coming thing. And so right. computer science, part of it too. Um and, 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 you know, I was fortunate enough. Um, so I currently work for the Institute for Health and Human Potential, um, IHHP.com. And I was fortunate enough to go to high school with the founder. Oh, really? And so he's the one that got into the area of emotional intelligence. He's a doctor and he got into the area of emotional intelligence. Um, okay. And he's, he's a coach. He also uh, works with and coaches um, men and women in the military, um, as, as I do also. Uh, so he's my business partner. And um, when I was explaining to him my struggles in leadership and all the idiots that I was working with, uh -huh. um, he helped me see that it actually wasn't all the other idiots. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so wait, hold on, Bill, just a quick question. What were what some of the examples that stuck out in your head of like you? Did you know you were a bad leader or were people like, you're a bad leader? <laughs> like, how did that even come about? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't really aware at first. Okay. Um, and then I did uh, something called a 360 assessment. Oh, um, yes. Okay. So hopefully people are familiar with those. Yes. So it's actually our 360 assessment where you rate yourself and then you're rated by others around you, your peers, okay. direct reports, manager, you know, et, et yes. cetera. Um, and yeah, it was pretty, it was right there in black and white. Um, okay. Yeah. We know, do had, those. I even had comments like, you know, Bill's a great coach when he wants to be. <laughs> Ooh, hurt so bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the 360 feedback really helped me recognize okay. that I had some challenges that I needed to address. Okay. And, and you reached out to your friend or what well, you were telling him your issues and he's like, well, I got something for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> That's good. And it was emotional intelligence. He introduced me to the concept. And, and the thing that really, really um, drew me to it because of, you know, my more logical and analytical nature mm -hmm. is the brain science. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we do in our, in our learning and training programs is we always look at what's happening in the brain. Um, and in particular, in the area of managing emotions, um, you know, we have our cognitive brain where we do our strategic thinking, our rational thinking, all our capabilities exist there. And then we have our emotional brain and it's, mm -hmm. it's part of our fight or flight response center. 
And so whenever we get triggered by something, you know, only one of those two parts of the brain, the cognitive brain and the emotional brain can be in the driver's seat in the driver's seat of our behaviors, of our thinking, of how we impact people. And I, you know, if we're not managing it, the emotions are constantly jumping into the driver's seat and driving us into fight or flight symptoms. And I know in the, in the military, there's lots of fight responses mm-hmm. um, and, and especially, you know, the male aggressive fight responses that, that women have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that, you know, comes from their, their lack of emotional intelligence their lack of ability to be aware of how they're impacting people and their lack of ability to manage their emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so to come back to your question, I got into it because I was fortunate enough to have a mirror put up to my face because I, I was demonstrating some male aggressive behaviors. Right. Uh, I was doing some of those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, I, I got to understand that, you know, I, I wasn't being as skillful as I, as I could be and that it was really affecting my reputation and my performance. Right. Okay. Do you think you had those challenges because you were, your brain was so much more focused on the analytical side as like a mathematician, more black and white versus the gray? Yeah. And and just a a lack of empathy, Okay. a lack of understanding, you know, my impact and that Mm -hmm. it mattered how I impacted people, you know, interrupting people, um, you know, thinking Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm I'm always right. Uh, I have to have the, you know, being judgmental at times, um, just just the way I was showing up was really impacting people, and mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, I, I I needed to get better at that. Okay, you know, what what is your opinion? Why do you think people feel that way? I mean, that's kind of that defense mechanism. Like, I, mm-hmm. I have to be right, e- even if you have that emotional intelligence, you do have that kind of. I'm sure that one to two seconds of like, Ooh, that hurt. Oh, yeah. And I want to get defensive, but because of emotional intelligence, you hold back. Right. But I wonder what makes people feel that they have to be right. Or, you know, everything that they say is right. And, and not all people, but A you know, that's yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, most of our neuro pathways are our default behaviors and mm-hmm. our, our emotional responses and our behaviors our neural pathways in our brain and they get seared in o- over time. Mm-hmm. Most of those are developed by the mm-hmm. time we're five years old, our initial <laughs> default behaviors. So mm-hmm. where do you think we learn those? Our parents. <laughs> yeah. And anyone who has kids knows that they're little tiny mirrors of ourselves. Right? <laughs> we, we always say, don't worry that your kids aren't listening to you. We say, worry that they're watching everything you do. I know. And, I, and it's like, you know, this intellectually, right? And I, I still find my, I don't know how to not do it, though. You know, it's like, I don't want to teach my kids that. But yep. I, I, I mean, I would love probably to, that's a whole different topic of really, how do you teach empathy, you know, to your kids and are just some tips too. I mean, that's, that's well, a, a we, we, we always say, you know, leading by example is not the main means of influencing people. Right. It's the only means. Okay. So leading by without going into a long conversation, the best mm-hmm. way to teach your kids to be emotionally intelligent is to be as emotionally intelligent as you can. Not perfect, because we're not perfect, and we don't want to teach our kids that they should be perfect. Right. I mean, the number of times I said, "Hey, Daddy made a mistake," or "Daddy shouldn't have said that," or so you want you want to model not being perfect. But the best way to teach them empathy is to be empathetic. Okay. They, that makes sense. Yeah, and and, and by the way, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I I had someone say, you know. Well, my 18-year-old, you know, those neuropathies are burning at five. I, you know, what about my 18-year-old done? It's like, no, it's never too late to teach your kids 
empathy. To be, to be emotionally intelligent. Right. I mean, so that kind of, I mean, I have a feeling I know your answer, but do you think great leaders are born or great leaders uh, learn to be great leaders or have those, learn those attributes, I should say? You, you might be surprised um, that I would say it's some of both. Okay. So again, some people are given some mm-hmm. natural talents, natural skills. They're, they're born with a little more natural empathy. Um, they get great modeling from their parents. And so, you know, they arrive with more of those both natural and learned skills. Mm-hmm. The great news is, and I'm a prime example, <laughs> is if, we're, if we don't have some of those skills. And I had, I, by the way, I had some leadership skills. Uh-huh. Right? I was very driven. I was very resourceful. I was very innovative. Uh, you know, I, I had some, you know, import, I, I was very resilient. Um, so I didn't lack leadership skills completely. I just, I just lacked in certain areas like empathy. You know, I was very authentic, um, you know, but I lacked in, in, in certain areas. Um, so the good news is, is we can learn. So that's the other part of the answer the one you were probably expecting, which is absolutely, we are not stuck. Those default behaviors like that getting defensive, you know, when we feel criticized or needing to feel right all the time, mm-hmm. we're not stuck with those behaviors. The emotional brain can learn. Mm-hmm. So un- unlike your brainstem, which can't learn. Mm-hmm. So in other words, your brainstem, which controls your body temperature, mm-hmm. but you can't say, gee, the room's cold. I'd like to raise my body temperature. Right, right. It just would be great if we could, right? Wouldn't that right. my wife and I would like a little so robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other story. Um, but the but the emotional part of our brain it can learn those those, those neural pathways we mm-hmm. can develop new neural pathways if we practice new and different behaviors we can change our emotional responses okay so we it's just getting those behaviors those right tools and just practicing on a daily basis it, it starts with self-awareness self-awareness mm-hmm. is absolutely at the foundation what are my triggers what are some of my less than skillful default behaviors um, you know, do I tend to move more to a fight response or a flight response? Am I avoiding things? Um, you know, and, and with women, uh, we do find that there are times when they don't step in where they should. They don't speak mm-hmm. up as loud as they, they should. Um, you know, the, the women, when we did our Women Under Pressure uh, survey and project, um, we surveyed over 40,000 women and interviewed um, hundreds of women, including many in the, in, in the military. Um, you know, they talked about the fact that they, they don't always stand up they don't always have the confidence to speak up uh, as, as much as they should and if they do they get called the b word mm-hmm. and so that tends to demotivate them from speaking up and, mm-hmm. and that's understandable so i mean for, again for your listeners if, if that's something that they're experiencing just know that's normal mm-hmm. um, it's the way your brain is wired so it's natural the good news is, is you can change that wiring in your brain hmm. and so how do we do that Ah, well, <laughs> you, you start. You it starts. At, it starts out with that self-awareness, uh-huh. and then it's um, you know doing reading, watching videos, um, finding a coach, um, mm-hmm. attending training. IHHP has amazing training. We do it online. We do it digitally. Um, so you know, uh, we, we certainly offer re- really amazing uh, emotional intelligence training. Um, and so or there's lots of other places to get training. So, you know, in, invest in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, get, get a coach. And, and, and if it's not, you know, a formal, you know, paid coach, then find, find a mentor. Find somebody who will, will, will help guide and lead you and hold you accountable. No, that's perfect. I, I was just talking to somebody else. Like, how do you 
how do you gain self-awareness? You know, <laughs> like you can read all the books and, and I don't know. So that that's good to hear that, that there's, you know, yeah. training. I did look at the website. There is some phenomenal training on there and, uh, yeah. and having a coach like to really, I guess, help you kind of talk to them about your day, I guess, or some situations and they help point things out or give yeah. you scenarios. Is that kind of how a coach would work in this scenario? Or yeah. This yeah. And, and, and in particular, mm-hmm. we look at, what we call your last 8% situations. Ooh, okay, yes. Because those are the really critical situations. And on the last 8% is a concept that my business partner and the founder of IHHP came up with, mm-hmm. Dr. J.P. Blue Fry. Uh, he was coaching um, two people who it, were working in an organization, two leaders in an organization, and they weren't getting along very well. Okay. So he coached them to have a conversation with each other about their relationship. Mm-hmm. And they both come back from the coaching and he asked them how, you know, how individ, in individual coaching sessions, how it went. And they were each like, oh, it went great. And then he's like, well, but did you say everything you needed to say? Sure, I did. But he really knew them. He knew they weren't saying everything they needed to say. So he really pushed them. And sure enough, it turns out they didn't really say everything they wanted to say. And in fact, they said, you know, I got 88, 90, 92% of the way there. And the other person started reacting. So that's when I started holding back. It got emotional. Okay. And so my emotional brain triggered and I held back and I avoided saying that last 8%, the part that really needed to be said. And so, so often the real thing that needs to be said is not or the reverse happens, mm-hmm. which is we move into fight mode and we say it, but we make a mess of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to say, I think I know more of those people. Okay. <laughs> Let me just get my last point out. <laughs> All right. I, I imagine in, in, in your environment, or I don't know if you imagine, I know in your environment, there's more people that are making a mess of their last 8% moments. Right. Um, and, and as we workshop this, people told us, well, it isn't just last 8% conversations. There's last 8% decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's the first 92% where everyone's going to be happy. Those are easy. Right. Then there's the ones where someone's going to be unhappy. Someone's not, someone's not going to like the change or whatever the decision is that we made. And again, we tend to either avoid those or just, you know, make the decision, tell people how it is, not worry about the impact and make a mess of it. Right. The motto is you can't make everybody happy. Right. <laughs> That's the motto. Right. right. <laughs> but you can take into account the impact right. that the decision has on people exactly. and help them accept it, mm. right? Acknowledge the impact that it's having. So there are ways to make decisions, even when people aren't going to like it. Because if, if you think of an exceptional leader that you had, if they made a decision that you didn't agree with, mm-hmm. would you accept it? Um. Yes, yes. I mean, there would be questions for right. clarity, right? So first yeah. of all, you had what we call the psychological safety mm-hmm. to question the decision. Right. And they would listen. Mm-hmm. And even if after that, if they still didn't agree with you and they still made the decision that you didn't like, mm-hmm. you would accept it because they're an exceptional leader. You trust them. You respect them. You know, they have their best interest in mind. You you, right. you know that they heard you out and you respect that they made their decision. So you can make a decision that someone doesn't like, but they can still respect it. Right. Because you've got that kind of trusting relationship. So that's what we found is that, you know, People are, who are skilled at this last 8% making these tough decisions. And then the final part is, is, is last 8% tasks. Mm. So that the really difficult things that we don't, that we don't want to have to do, the, the financial part of a, of a project or having to stand up and give a presentation, right? There's difficult tasks that we all have. 
And, 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 what, and what happens in these last 8% moments is because there's emotions, emotions get triggered in last 8% moments because the pressure's on, is cortisol gets released. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, cortisol is our stress hormone. So there's lots of impacts of that. But the cortisol actually causes the situation to get seared into everyone's memory. Mm-hmm. We encode memories during a, a last 8% moment with much more accuracy and, and, and memory than we do in the other 92% of moments. So those last 8% moments, they establish our reputation. Mm. That's what people, that's what people remember. Right. And, and by the way, it isn't just our external reputation and other people watching us. There's mm-hmm. someone else watching. Mm-hmm. We're watching ourselves. Right. There's our internal reputation. There's how we feel about ourselves. And, 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 and when we make that mess of something or avoid something, we know we shouldn't have. And, and we start to feel some shame and regret. And so it affects us. And, and finally, it, it impacts our results. It impacts our performance. It impacts our ability to you know, drive change or, or have an impact. Um, and so our, our last 8% Academy, which is a digital course, is all about teaching this emotional intelligence skills to be able to approach these last 8% moments more skillfully. Okay. And, so and what that. people will remember you by the eight, that last 8%. That is interesting how you say that. I mean, that 92%. And I think I've, I know I've been in those situations where, you know, people make comment about how, you know, oh, you can handle it. And I'm like, well, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm like, can I? I don't know, but it must be the eight yep. percent yep. <laughs> that I showed up at. In <laughs> they remember you handling something when when <laughs> when things were difficult, or 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 you know the reverse. You, you do something right nine times, but that one time you did it wrong. That's what everyone remembers. Oh, that's you in know, my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, listen, listen. The 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 the, the last eight percent and, and the emotional intelligence work. It all applies in our personal lives. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> and, 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 and in fact, I mean, you know, the emotional brain doesn't know the difference whether we're at work or at home. Right. So if, if we're practicing empathy with our with our spouse or partner or our kids, we're more likely to have empathy, at, you know, in, in, in the work environment. And so right. it doesn't matter where we practice. And it, by the way, for most of us, what's the more important place to have a positive impact? Right. right? You know, I mean, our, our home life, right? Right, absolutely. They're with you forever. Now, something true. else I, I wanted to make sure that we uh, I shared with with your yeah. your, your listeners um, is that fr- from our women under pressure mm-hmm. um, um, work, uh, as I mentioned, we always like to look at the brain. And one of the things that we found is, first of all, just before I get to the brain part, there's the research is really really clear that teams of combined men and women outperform teams of mostly men or mostly women. Mm. And so I know in the military, there's a lot less mm-hmm. combined teams. Mm-hmm. But the, so, so the message I, you know, I want everyone to hear is, is you know, that, that we need teams where there's a balance of men and women. And, and there's a brain-based reason for that. And the reason is that under pressure, women, you get more blood flow to the hippocampus. Okay. And what that allows you to do is to see more variables, to see more options, to see more emotional context. Mm-hmm. Whereas men, we get more tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. We, get, we get more certain that one way is right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, neither is, is, is good or bad. 
the challenge with, with you know, women, you're, you're, you're being able to see a lot of options and see all the context and see all the solutions is that sometimes you can ruminate and struggle to make a decision. Right. <laughs> Whereas men are very, men are very decisive. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is we're, we're missing, con- we're often missing the personal and emotional context. We're, we're maybe missing a potential solution that might be better than the one we're tunnel visioned on. So as men, we want to make sure that we really are giving women the opportunity to have their voice. Mm-hmm. Because you are, they are seeing more options. They're seeing more potential solutions. They're understanding the emotional context. So, and, and women, you know, need to be able to allow at some point in time, you know, men to drive to a decision so that the decision can get made. Right. That's, why, that's why teams that are combined outperform teams of men or women mm-hmm. primarily. And, and I've been fortunate the times I've been in like um, leadership positions, it's been me and, and two guys or me and one guy, it's been a mix. And you exactly what you said, you get kind of different perspectives versus just yeah. like a woman's perspective versus, you know, so I, I do like the mixture. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, we interviewed a bunch of really amazing w- women, and, and and one from from a woman in the military. She said, "I often bring a point of view males will not have initially considered. Most mm-hmm. of the time, it will be the human oriented. Uh, it will sorry, it will be human oriented, and will force them to look at a situation with a new point of view and with more empathy." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in the military, you know, empathy is something that would be considered soft and squishy and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. In, in some it, of the roles, combative it, roles, yes. In mm-hmm. some of the, in some of the combative roles, mm-hmm. um, and, and and again, maybe there are certain roles where it, it's not as critical. But in most roles, um, and, and the U.S. Navy did a study mm-hmm. uh, where where they, where they looked at you know um, leadership competencies, and empathy was found to be one of the competencies most highly correlated with successful leaders in the military in the U.S. Navy. Right, um, and and it's certainly true in business as well. Um, but again, it's, it's not, empathy is not giving in all the time. Empathy is not, you know, someone else has to be right. It's simply acknowledging the other person's point of view. Right. Them knowing that you value their opinion. It doesn't mean agreeing with them. It doesn't mean giving in. It doesn't mean not being right. It just means valuing the other person's point of view, valuing the impact that you're having on them, right? Respecting who they are as a person. Right. That's what empathy is. Yes. Yeah, and, and, when, and, and when that person feels that you have empathy for them, that's when they're willing to go to the wall for you. That's when they're willing to accept a decision they don't like. That's right. when they're willing to go the extra mile. Right. Right. Yeah. Even if they don't agree with the decision that you're making. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. That's the key. Seeing the person as a person and not as an object. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. Um, so what I, I had some questions for you. So uh, you you were talking about how women do have so many um, things going on in their in their head and and mm-hmm. uh, you know different yeah mild a minute kind of thought process. How can one kind of a woman come back to what's in front of her and focus and and see you know whatever the issue is at that. Yeah moment of so many things like I have my son beating at my door right now <laughs> and I'm trying to find the words <laughs> to say mommy and I'm, I'm trying to focus yeah. but yes how any tips tools of how to get back in the moment uh, sure. to really focus on that person sure sure um and and women and men have that racing mind mm-hmm. um you know I, I I can't speak to it because I'm not a woman but again according <laughs> to research oh they yes, do you guys, you guys are often seeing more things ruminating more like um, what's for dinner, what I'm getting yeah, the grocery yeah, store. <laughs> yeah. um, 
So, so you know, and, and again, in our last eight percent academy, there's there's sort of you know two really critical practices. One is building emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. The other is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so, the way to kind of get control of your thoughts or to learn to manage your thoughts is to become more mindful. Okay. Is to be able to recognize when your mind's wandering, and and that's the practice of meditation. And again, a lot of people initially think meditation is sitting around going om. But it's really just being aware of what your mind is doing, mm -hmm. how it wanders all over the place, attaches to things, and then lets go. My knee hurts, and then and then you know two minutes later you're not even thinking about your knee; you're thinking about something else. It just then it gets attached to worrying about something with my son, and and then all of a sudden it's thinking about the thing that person said in that meeting yesterday, and just recognizing how the mind wanders around and just attaches to things, mm -hmm. and then learning the practice of letting that go and coming back to our breathing. Mm. So we focus on the breath as, as part of, as part of mindfulness and meditation. And then the mind wanders off again. Right. And then you go, Oh, my mind's wandering again. You say, okay. And then you don't beat yourself up. There's no judgment. Mm -hmm. It's non-judgmental. You just say, Oh, my mind wandered again. I'll let that go. And I'll come back to my breathing. And that's the practice. Okay. So that when you are in a meeting, and you're seeing all these things and your mind's wandering all over the place and you want to come back and get focused. You've had that, pra your brain has that practice. You've been practicing. Oh, I noticed my mind's wandering all over the place. Let me bring it back and get focused. So the practice of mindfulness is the way to get control of all that kind of crazy thinking that goes on in our brains. And when you say focus on breathing, is it a, a, a technique or is it just like you're inhaling, exhaling, and you're focused, and when you're inhaling, you're thinking of exhaling. And when you think of something else, you're like, oh, let me come back to my, my. Yeah, like, like, like again, there, there's no right or wrong. That's the other thing. There's no right or wrong way to meditate. Okay. But often, um, again, if, if you can, you often breathe into your nose, mm -hmm. um, feel your, feel your chest and your stomach rise, and then breathe out through your mouth. I'm doing it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the intake of a large amount of oxygen actually oxy oxygenates your, your, your bloodstream, which does cause some calming sensations. Although the goal of meditation is not to calm ourselves down. Really? Yes. That is a huge misconception. Oh. The goal of meditation is to be aware of our mind wandering. Oh. Is to practice some slow breathing. Now. An outcome might be that we feel calmer, okay. but it might not be, and, mm -hmm. and we're okay with that. Because what happens is, is if if, if we if we start meditating, and we're thinking, I'm not getting calmer. I'm I'm I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all um, because again, people aren't used to just sitting trying to focus on their breathing. They get more anxious, right? And then they think this isn't working. I'm not any good this at isn't, this. Right? I'm oh, this not working. I'm done. This isn't working. I, I'm I'm no good at this. Right. But that's not the goal. The goal is, is is the mindfulness, is the actually being aware that, oh, my mind's having this thought. I'm no good at this. Mm. Well, that's just a thought. Okay, let me let go of that thought. Let me come mm. back to my breathing. Mm -hmm. Now, again, an outcome might be that at some point in time, meditating does calm you down. Mm -hmm. the, the practice of breathing, the practice of letting go of all those thoughts, but it's not the goal. And it won't, and it won't happen every time. Uh, you know, I, I've been, I've been meditating myself for, for, you know, quite a few years and there's still days and times when, you know, I meditate and I'm just like, you know, 
I don't feel any calmer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the mental clarity that you're yeah, seeing. Yeah. The other thing I want to really recommend for your listeners is uh, my, my business partner, Dr. J.P. Palou Fry, has something he calls the last 8% morning podcast. Yes, I was listening to that. Yeah, well, and 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 what what I think is unique about it is his recommendation is that it's used as a walking podcast. Mm. Oh, is it? Your, yeah, you put your headphones in uh-huh. and you go for a walk okay. while you are listening to it. And he actually starts with meditation. So okay. he starts yes, with he short. Yes, you know that. I was driving. Short, I was like, mm, I think this is something I should be sitting for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it's it's meant to be done walking. Okay, or walking. Yes, now I know so, walking. So, so give, give it a try. Give it a try. Put your headphones in and give it a try going for a walk because movement is such an important, you know, so it's so important mm-hmm. uh, to our bodies, to our mind. Um, and so, uh, but there's lots of great episodes. Um, you know, I think he's got over 100 episodes now. Um, in fact, the, the ironically, the ep- today's episode that just, just came out today is about why you should meditate. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you touched on it. Um, yes. I, I, and I think I was reading either on, 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 on one of the, the um, websites that y'all have about the importance of meditating, just like you said that, but a lot of leaders are doing it first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of recenter, refocus of what yeah. they need to go throughout the day. Successful leaders, I should say, that's one of the tips and tools that they use. Yeah, he, he calls the last 8% morning podcast because ideally you do that in the morning. However, it doesn't have to be in the morning. So I, I mean, I sometimes do it in the middle of the day, at lunchtime or in the afternoon. So I just want people to feel okay if they don't get it done in the morning but they still do it at another time of day. It's still super valuable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, I recommend that last 8% um, walking podcast. And again, available on Apple or Spotify or anywhere you get your, your podcast. Okay. So meditation or meditating is one of the tools to become a mindfulness leader. Yes. Okay. And be able to be more, pre- it, it, it also gives you that ability to be more present with people. Present. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you know, that person that it really is distracted. It's like, right they're looking at you, but you can tell they're not really thinking about you. They're right. not really listening. Um, well, that, that just, that disengages people that, and people don't feel that I mean, we're talking about empathy and feel, making people feel valued. And the worst thing you can do is not really be present with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and try, I, I remember once I was sitting in my office um, and this was back when email first came out and it would ding. Oh yeah. I was literally oh, talking to a person who's sitting right in front of me, my email dinged. And I noticed the subject line that was like something really important. It's like, oh my right. God, as like, I go over, I start reading my email while I'm in front of this person. Like, how did that make them feel? I mean, but it's worse now, don't you think with the phones and you're oh, like, yeah. oh, oh, you know, you're, you're noticing people like reading and talking to you. I, yes. I find myself doing that sometimes. So yeah. Yes, do not talk to a person, turn your phone over, turn the sound off, turn the buzzer right. off, right. be present. Um, be present. But just in case your, your, your phone is, is, you know, if you have the mindfulness, mm-hmm. you can say, oh, that thought came in. I should check my phone. You know what, though? Actually, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to let go of that thought and stay present with that person. Right. And that's where, I, you know, uh, I, I, do you think compared to, to today versus 20 years ago before, you know, cell phones and social media and and even like DVR, you know, and yeah. recording things on TV where you had to be home for a television show. Do you see a difference in self-awareness of, I mean, and that's probably not even something that you were thinking of back then, but I mean, just, yeah, just if you can imagine people 20 years ago versus now. 
and how people are in, in their self-awareness. Oh, we're way more distracted. I yeah. mean, it's just, you know, there's no doubt about it. And I, I have two teenage daughters who are just glued to their phones and it, it worries the heck out of me, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can't, you know, tell them not to. I just, right. I, I try to teach them by partly by modeling. Right. So the worst thing I can do is be sitting at dinner and looking at my phone because mm-hmm. what's that, what's that teaching them? Right. Or sitting okay. in front of them and there's, you know, and, and, and getting on my phone. So I, I never use my phone with my kids. Mm. And then I do try to like, if they get some, like my daughter had a volleyball practice. So she had to go a whole two hours without looking at her phone. Oh, wow. Did they? So she gets in the car and she starts on her phone. And I'm like, Hey, sweetie, how do you think it makes me feel when you get in the car and you mm. immediately just look at your phone? Mm-hmm. So a little bit, a little bit of coaching. Right. So I said, Hey, can we have an agreement? Can, can you and I talk for five minutes? I want to hear how the volleyball practice went. I want to hear what it was like. Cause it was her first one. And, and, and by the way, it was her first one over a year. Yay. Oh yeah. Practice. I know huh? actual, yeah. yes. Face-to-face practice. That's awesome. Poor thing had, had to wear a mask the whole time, <laughs> which, which is great from a safety perspective, but oh my God. But, I thing. Um, <laughs> but it, so we just made an agreement that she would turn her phone off or turn it over for five minutes while we talked. And then she could go to her Instagram and her Snapchat. And, and so and just, that. you know, just, so, so definitely we as a society, uh, this is not news to anyone, are way more distracted. Right. And, and, and that is affecting our self-awareness. In fact, um, Tasha Yurik at Harvard did a really interesting study um, recently that said that, that where um, they determined that 90% of people think they're self-aware, 85 to 90% of people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% actually are. Oh. I know. And I- why do we think we're self-aware just because of social media? Like we, our definition of self-awareness is, is. Yeah. We, we think we know how we're showing up. We think we know how yeah. people are experiencing us. We think right. we know what impact we're having because we're in our own minds. Mm. Again, we're caught in our own thoughts. Yes. We, yes. We're, we're not connecting with other people. We're not. Getting really, that you know, feedback from other people. That feedback, we're, you, know, mm. you know, we're, we're not, we're not getting, you know, there's no empathy. Um, <laughs> getting our own. <laughs> We're telling yeah. ourselves what we should and shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but when I heard that statistic, I thought, oh, I'm in the 10 to 15 percent. <laughs> and then I thought, wait a minute, I'm a math guy. Statistically speaking, I'm way more likely to be in the 85 percent that aren't self-aware. <laughs> but you've been practicing for so long, so you, you definitely got a heads up. Yeah, you know, and then, and, then I, and then I made the mistake of asking my wife and, well, I got work to do. <laughs> so it's never ending. I guess that I, that was my question. Like, yeah, that, that was kind of the silly questions comparing then into now. But I guess the point is, is now we just have, it takes more practice. Like it's it more being work. aware that our self-awareness sucks. <laughs> we, have, we have so many more distractions, so many more things for our thought life to get focused on and so many right. more emotional triggers. I mean, by the way, you know, I mean, COVID was a huge yeah. trigger. I mean, it, it impacted so many people just the fear of getting the virus, the change in working from home, the change in organizational structures. Right. I mean, there's just so much uh, that impacted people emotionally. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's raised the profile of, of you know, EI and, and last 8% moments mm-hmm. um, significantly. By the way, before I forget, um, one, one more commercial announcement. Oh, yeah, um, go ahead. We, we, we do have a really cool um, survey quiz. Uh-huh. I know people love learning about things about themselves. Um, there's three common mistakes people make when they are approaching their last 8% moments mm-hmm. and you can find out which of the three 
you're more likely to fall victim to. Um, and so people can go to last8percent.com and the eight is the number, not, 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 the, um, not spelled out. So last8percent.com slash mistakes. Okay. Last8percent.com slash mistakes. mistakes for a quiz that will help them identify what's, what's the, what mistake are they most likely to make when approaching their last 8% moments. I love those quizzes. I did the EI quiz and I was good, but then I was like, I think I know the answers to these. (laughs) So I don't know (laughs) if it was a bias of like, is that really me or do I just kind of know what I should be doing? (laughs) Well, and and you know what, the the goal of that. So, so the challenge with (laughs) self-assessments is if we think we're self-aware, but we aren't, Right. Well, we just what, what good is it? Um, so the point of it is just to get you thinking, just like you did just now. Get, get, how am I doing? Do I stay calm under pressure? Right. Oh, am I open to critical feedback? Do. How do I how do I do with you know? Am I non-judgmental? Can I listen without jumping to conclusions? Well, some days it's just to, it's just to really because because the only way to really find out is to do a three sixty assessment where you get right. rated by other people. And you get rated anonymously, mm-hmm. so they're not afraid of repercussions. They're afraid of, you know, the, 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 you know, being found out. Um, so that's the other thing about three sixties; they're anonymous. Right, right. Um, no. But it just the, so that I, so. By the way, yeah, the, uh, on the ihhp.com website, there is a free EQ quiz. Mm-hmm. And again, the goal of it is just to get you thinking about how you're doing. In some la- all the questions are related to last eight percent situations, receiving okay. feedback. Listening without jumping to conclusions, handling setbacks. It's all related to last eight percent situations. Yeah, in my book, then I am, you know, A plus student. <laughs> Aren't we all? Oh, right. <laughs> in, in our in our own books. Yeah. So, so that brings me to another question, right? You always feel like you're the only one with any smarts in the room, right? Not not always, but a lot of people do. Like, man these people just don't understand what's going on. Why can't a good decision be, it can be made? You're like, what is going on? And why isn't anybody thinking, you know, reasonably and logically and smartly, you know, you're, so you're the only you one why. in the room. I can tell you why, because <laughs> emotions drive behavior. Ah, there you and go. Emotions drive decision-making unless people are managing their emotions. So here's what happens when we get even just a little under pressure it's a little bit of a last eight percent moment or decision. Um, our emotional system jumps into the driver's seat, and that emotional system is part of our fight or flight response mm-hmm. mechanism. So imagine you're somewhere where that system serves you. So imagine you're in the jungle, and a tiger jumps out at you. Within 85 milliseconds, the emotional part of your brain will cause the release of chemicals first into your bloodstream, right? Blood will move to major muscle groups. Your heart rate increases. Your breathing shortens. Then it will release chemicals into your brain that will reduce what we call working memory. Mm-hmm. And working memory is where you hold your short-term thoughts. So working memory is what allows us to think complex thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, when we lose that working memory, that's when we can't think clearly and we move to default behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we can't think strategically. Mm-hmm. So why am I in a meeting and people aren't thinking strategically? Because they might be just a little triggered. They might be just a little emotional but therefore they're not thinking as clearly. Mm-hmm. They're more tied to their own judgment. They're more tied to the, the needing to be right. They're more feeling disrespected by something. And so they're resisting, even though it makes no sense to resist. And the, again, the emotional brain, it doesn't cognate. It doesn't think through things. It simply reacts. So why am I in a room of people doing things that make no logical sense? Mm-hmm. Because emotions right. aren't being managed. 
So what do I need to do as, as, as you know, a person who wants to influence or lead? Mm-hmm. I need to make sure I'm managing my own emotions. Mm-hmm. And then I need to put some things into some strategies into practice to help others manage their emotions. Okay. Okay. And those can be learned at the Institute of um, yes. Human Health and Human Potential. I know it's a mouthful. IHHP.com, <laughs> Institute for Health and Human Potential. I will give you one though, one mm-hmm. simple, quick tool. If you were in a room or you're dealing with someone and they're a little bit triggered, number one thing is for you to remain calm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the number one is that self-awareness, that emotional management piece. But then a way to connect with them and the way to get their brain into their cognitive thinking is to ask them a genuine probing question. Okay. So a statement will further trigger their amygdala. Oh, you should have done this. Mm-hmm. You need to think about this. Mm-hmm. That will further trigger amygdala or even questions that are veiled as statements. So for mm-hmm. example, why are you such a jerk? Mm-hmm. Question or statement to the other person's emotional brain. Mm-hmm. That's a statement. That's a Logically, statement. Logically, or, or, well, why didn't you think of doing it this way? Right. That okay, technically that's a question, but right. to the emotional brain of the other person, it sounds like, you idiot, you should have done it that way. Right. So we have to ask, tell me your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Gosh, what's that been like for you? When you ask a genuine probing question, it engages their neocortex, their cognitive brain, which automatically soothes the emotional part of their brain. Mm-hmm. So you can actually help someone, you can actually help soothe someone else's emotions help calm them down, you can actually change their brain chemistry by asking a genuine probing question. Yes. No, I agree. I, I hate those questions that start with the why. Mm. <laughs> when, that's, when, some, when someone is obviously doing something that you don't agree with, and it's just like, why are you doing that? I, I'm thinking more of my kids. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why I mean, are you doing that? But yeah. Again, when, like, why are you doing that? That's yeah. laced with, when it comes laced with judgment and criticism. Right. That's it. Yeah, That's the yeah. number one. <laughs> but, but but hey, hey, tell me what's going on for you. Right. Like right. a genuine that that that's why you have to be managing yourself first. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a little triggered and you're feeling a little judgmental, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what the words you use are, the other person will hear it as a as a criticism or judgment. You have to be managing yourself first so right. that you can step in skillfully. It's so hard to do, especially in last eight percent moments, because by by design, those last eight percent moments. They're, they're high intensity, they're high stakes, mm-hmm. a, lot's on, a lot's on the line. Well, that's where the, the, the skillfulness comes in. That's, that's why it's not easy to be a skillful and emotionally intelligent leader who can be great at last 8%, right? It takes practice and time and, and effort, but it is absolutely doable. So in, in order to get that last 8% out without messing, messing up the whole conversation, you allow that person to say whatever they need to say, vent get defensive and you know you let them react how they need to react all the while the other person who needs to get that eight percent out because it's very important you know you're staying calm and then you're 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 addressing that person's concerns and then you can say that last eight percent once the other person's calmed down is that kind of yeah strategy yeah and in fact we have a strategy um again it's in the training it's called vvf Mm -hmm. and the first v is voice Mm-hmm. Give that person some voice. Let them say their piece. Now, if they're being unskillful and they're being critical and they're being judgmental, that doesn't mean you. This, this doesn't mean accepting somebody yelling at you or you know. So right. again, you can set a boundary. You can you can have a last eight percent conversation that addresses how. But ninety percent of the time, if you're emotionally strong, 
you can let that person have their voice. And, and once they start feeling heard, they'll start to calm down. Okay. So that is another way to soothe someone's amygdala, mm-hmm. or their, which is the emotional part of their brain, their emotional brain, mm-hmm. is to give them voice, let them feel heard. Okay. So that's the V in, in, in VVF. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, let's see, Bill, we've been on for about 40 minutes or so. I do have just one question out of curiosity um, before we just wrap things up. The sure. coat of armor. I saw that on your... Uh-huh. Ah, <laughs> confidence, optimism, tenacity, and enthusiasm. So, yes. what? So that is like a a skill set, right? Or a, a tool for people to get that coat of armor that that um that is offered at the IHHP. That's yeah, that's actually so. That's from our book, Performing okay. Under Pressure. Okay. Um, and when we did our study um, uh-huh. of of about thirty thousand people to uh-huh. see, you know. Who, who were the people who were best at dealing with and performing under pressure, we found that they had high levels of all of those things, ah. the, CO, the confidence, optimism, tenacity, enthusiasm. Um, now, they weren't perfect. They weren't okay. super duper at all of them, okay. but they had high degrees of, of, of most of them. Um, they were able to perform more effectively under pressure. They were able to deal with when things weren't, weren't going right, when, when things were you know, going haywire, they were able to remain calm. They were able to be resilient. They were able to stay in the game. They were able to stay present, stay empathetic. Um, so that, yeah, they, they had those, that coat of armor. And so, you know, we use that, <laughs> no, like that. Met, met, that metaphor, uh, <laughs> right, that, right. That, that analogy, because it truly is a coat of armor to help us when we're under pressure. Right. Okay. So the third section in the book, mm-hmm. there's a whole chapter on each of those confidence, optimism, tenacity, and enthusiasm. I love the confidence chapter. It's really cool. Optimism's cool too. Um, they're all they're all great. Um, Can't wait so to yes, read it. Yeah. Someone wants to buy the book again. It's available on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. Um, the the third section of the book is those four four chapters on each of those. Okay. So thank okay. you so much for asking about that. No, not a, I thought that that was a cool name, and I'm like, oh, and yeah, the you know all those things are are attributes are good to have as a leader for sure. Yeah, I forgot to promote the book. So thank you for bringing that up. So I can put a, a plug in there for the book. Thank Not you. a problem. And I'll make sure I read it. And I kind of like to have some book summaries, uh, uh, talks out. I'll, I'll be doing those lives on Facebook one of these days. <laughs> uh, let's see anything else, uh, Bill, anything else? I have asked a lot of questions and there's so many parts, like you were saying, it's the, uh, the women under pressure, the emotional yeah. intelligence, um, I mean, there's many things that we can gain from from yeah. the organization and teaching. I just, I just, I just want to say that you know the final thing that comes came from our research is we found that women face a second layer of pressure that men don't. So what, what from? Both men and women, we 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 all deal with deadlines, having too much to do, dealing with change. You know, we we all deal with all of that then women have a second layer, Mm. being in a room of all men, Mm -hmm. dealing with aggressive male behavior, interrupting, considering us, you know, the B word, if if, if we speak up, Mm -hmm. Um, feeling the need to be perfect. Women have much more of a need to feel like they shouldn't make mistakes and they should be perfect than than, than men do, Um, you know, and and work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though uh, both a man and a woman are working, women take more of the home work on, Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have a, the second layer of pressure 
that men don't, men, we don't face any of those things, right? We're, right. In fact, we're the, we're the cause of some of the second layer, layer of pressure. So I just want to really acknowledge, and especially in the military, mm-hmm. right? It's so intense. So I just want to acknowledge and, and, and give a shout out to the, to the women in the military that, that you're supporting, um, that what they're doing is, is truly difficult and challenging. Um, and I just have so much respect and so much appreciation for, for what they're doing and what you're doing um, to support them. So that's kind of what I wanted to close thank on. Thank you. And again, again, thank you and all your members for your service. Oh, I appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, just quick question, besides your book, any other resources that you would um, like to give a shout out to as a resource, like a book, podcast? Yeah, so the, the, the book, um, The Last 8% pod, Morning Podcast, which is free, mm-hmm. um, and, and then our website, ihhp.com. There's tons of great resources, the free quiz, blogs, videos, um, all on emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the lastapercent.com slash mistakes to do the, the, the mistakes quiz. So those would be the resources that I would okay. put out there. Well, thank you so much, Bill. This was very helpful. And I, I mean, I, I can't wait to dive into the book as well as some of the resources um, that I, IHHP <laughs> uh, uh, offers as well. And it's, I'm just, I feel very fortunate that you decided to come on to the Military Women's Podcast, this, you know, new startup podcast. And I mean, I was looking at your accolades and all the places that you've spoken on. And I felt, I felt very nervous, but I came uh-huh. in with confidence and then the Zoom didn't work. <laughs> well, by the way, you had confidence, optimism, tenacity to deal with the technology issues. And a ton of enthusiasm. So you had your coat of armor on. You did great. Thank you. You know, you have to tell. And I, that's, a, you know, I, I know we're ending, but it's it's one thing of, of showing it, right? But in the inside, it's okay to feel all of everything oh. melting down. Oh, all, all the time. By the way, my first time speaking to a group of 150 U.S. Marines, uh-huh. not being a military guy, I was so nervous because I'm like, I don't know what Marines do when they don't like a speaker, but it can't be good. So like I'm sitting I, in front of a room of killers. <laughs> so exactly. I know exactly how that feels. Well, thank you. It, it was it was fun. So I thank you for your patience and again your time and have a great what day is this? Tuesday, Tuesday. And um, thank you again. I appreciate it. You are quite welcome. It was a pleasure to be here. Love your energy. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. If you are enjoying the podcast, please comment and keep updated on the Military Woman and so much more Facebook group or at the Military Woman on Instagram. Also, leave a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast and thank you for your support.